hello, and thank you for joining the Dr. Whisperer podcast. I am your host, Sharon Feckety. I am the Dr. Whisperer, and I am so happy that you chose this podcast to listen to when there are so many choices out there. If you are enjoying the podcast, please consider writing a review or typing one, shall I say, and sharing it with somebody who might benefit or enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. Recording has progressed. We are technically now in a recording. So what do you think? Should we welcome our special guest, Rich? Absolutely. So this is the illustrious Sharon Feckety, who has written this lovely, well-placed book to the right of her uh, called The Broken Road to Mental Health. One of my fave books and one of my fave people, because what better topic than talking about recovery principles and as they relate to the road to mental health mm. and how they some some of these people who were doing well in recovery um, weathered the storm of the pandemic better than the rest of us. So why do you think that that is, Miss Sharon? Go. Well, well, first, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's always a pleasure to see your faces because I know that you are both helping so many people down this broken road to mental health in life and in business. <laughs> Those faces are classic. So um, you know what? I, I say this often since the pandemic began that I don't know. So I'm 27 years sober um, by the grace of something out there. And I don't know how I would have managed to get sober in a pandemic. You know, I think that it um, comes with its own set of interesting ways to navigate. And so um, I thought about it because my first year of recovery was spent in a very deep, dark depression. And if it wasn't for the community that I had semi been forced to embrace I wasn't so willing at 21 years old to hang around with um, uh, people that weren't my age that had been in Alcoholics Anonymous for a long time, but it certainly saved me from myself. So for the pandemic, um, I mentioned that uh, I started a, a recovery journey to mental wellness Zoom meeting, like many people did through the pandemic, especially for people that were not only just getting sober or were sober, but were struggling with their own mental health issues because hand in hand with getting sober was welcome to depression. <laughs> welcome to your thoughts. Welcome to um, not being able to numb your feelings anymore. How's that for an answer? It's amazing. Rich. I mean, I got nothing. You got anything to add to that? That was perfect. Well, I think that um, it was a societal wide trauma. So whatever was, you know, and one of the effects was not just a social isolation, but a psychological isolation. Yeah. What I, I had a lot of my people who are in recovery really uh, shaken by the isolation more than anything else. E even, you know, they complained to me, well, you know, I, I, I missed the meetings. The way you can do the Zoom meeting and they'd say, well, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. You know, and some enough. people did all right. And, and the techniques, of course, the things that you learn from the 12 steps, you know, and from, 
you know, being in recovery, uh, they would help anybody. I don't think you have to be an addict to, to be helped by it. It's a wonderful model for living. Um, but part of it is the community. And I think, I think that people really felt that loss. Yeah. Well, my I, people did, the people I talked to. I think that word is really key, right? You know, um, it's funny, you know, there's this whole separate language in the rooms of recovery that, you know, the normies on the outside don't typically use, but throughout my recovery, it was like, you know, don't isolate isolation, you know, are you isolating? And isolation has always been, um, big for me. I think a lot of people today, because, you know, I'm in business and, and I, I have to do certain things to, uh, you know, run a business and, and do events and stuff. So they think I'm an extrovert, but the truth is I'm a complete introvert. My, my first thought when somebody asked me to do something or go somewhere is no, my, my first thought, do you want to? No. <laughs> but what I have to do is I have to force myself to be a part of society to stay away from isolation. So now here we were in this, we were all being forced into isolation. And I was told for the past 27 years that isolation was the worst thing for an alcoholic in recovery for anybody that is suffering from any type of, of mental illness, because the community is so, so needed. So I, I loved the zoom, you know, because, you know, I also thought as much as I thought it was difficult, I thought, like the last thing I wanted to do was go in my own hometown to a meeting where I might run into somebody that has the same exact problem as me. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, uh, but that you was know, my the, the second day in AA, right? Anonymous. right? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want people to know. And, uh, the same thing I felt here, I would think, Oh my goodness. Uh, now I'm in Florida and I, I run business and I work with physicians. I, I don't want to see anybody I know. Well, guess what sister? Um, so isolation is, it's interesting because the, the Zoom thing allowed this opportunity to meet people from other countries, from other places, and to see where um, and how meetings were done in other, in other spots. So I thought it was, I thought it was great, but I do know that there's a lot of people that are extroverts that are also alcoholic in recovery that need to have that in-person community. Yeah, that, that's what that's what I saw. And then I, you know, I tend to be more like you, but I call myself an introvert extrovert, because if I'm in front of a crowd, I'm fine. You know, it's mm -hmm. in a 12 person party that I want to crawl yeah, same. <laughs> into mm -hmm. a hole, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if the band is playing, you know, I have my compatriots and I can right. talk to the audience. It's no problem. I think the issue actually, you know, they call it, you know, the hungry, angry, lonely, tired mm -hmm. as your danger signs for relapse is the difference between being lonely and being okay, being alone. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, and a lot of that I think is, is trauma related and, and uh, what people, you know, a lot of the people that I work with who are in recovery, the reason they need to see me as well as being in the, rooms is because of the trauma aspect. And I think the thing about the pandemic that I said before is the societal wide trauma, it activated people like nothing I've ever seen before mm -hmm. in terms of, of, of their own traumas. And uh, I saw things I hadn't seen in decades. You know, you see one a decade, I was seeing two a month. Mm -hmm. You know, what, it's, it's slowed down a little bit now, by the way. Uh, maybe or maybe I got used to it I don't know mm. 
Yeah. Well, I think um, I'm, I'm super grateful, super grateful for recovery. I was also, I said many times in the beginning of the pandemic that I was built for this. <laughs> I was built to be in this type of situation because I've been practicing how to be okay being alone and having these amazing tools um, of going into really like helping others mode, right? So that's mm -hmm. what we're taught as well. Like, let's not focus on self the entire time. Let's see what we can do to help somebody else. And I think, you know, that was wonderful because I, I feel very blessed actually. And that's why I started that meeting because I really did not know. I don't know how anybody gets sober during this time. It's very difficult. It's twice the world problems. You know, it was 94 when I got sober. So it was a different time. There was no social media. There was no internet. There was no way we could do a zoom. So, um, I think that, you know, there's a lot to be said about the gifts of knowing that you might not be okay and reaching out to get help. And then there's also the negative that, you know, people know that they need help and they do nothing about it. So um, it's free, by the way, you know, it's one of the things that I love most about recovery. It's, it's free for everybody. Just got to maybe put a buck in a basket. So that's voluntary even. It's just the only mm -hmm. desire is a desire to stop using. Truth. So you get them in there. Um, and I think most people realize like, wow, there's some good stuff here. There's some good um, tools that I can learn on how to keep restless, irritable, discontent at bay or avoid hungry, angry, angry lonely, tired. Um, but what about the ones that and then, and then in early recovery, they, a lot of times they took these meetings outdoors and they were still able to do in people who are willing to come in, in, into the church or whatever, into the meeting. Um, they either kept those going, moved them outside, and then also concurrently had a separate online group. Same meeting. It was just in two different simultaneous venues. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to work really well. Yeah. Well, you know what, Here, here's another piece of it. There's, I've had a hard time myself no, now going back in person. Hmm. So I'm, again, going back to what I was taught in the beginning, isolation is not good. So I have to, even 27 years later, go, you really need to show up in person. There's, there's no reason not to, you know, you're, you're safe now. And, um, now I go, but I, I find myself now also going to more than I ever did because I was down to maybe going to one a week, but really um, that community and that support was really tremendous. And also going back to therapy. I think that a lot of people um, have gone back to therapy. I think you guys might know a thing or two about that. A lot of people have reached out to um, a psychiatrist today to to maybe get some medication or figure out what, what the next steps are. So it's, you know, I think more people are reaching out. So I'm always looking for the silver lining of anything. And the silver lining of that for me is that a lot more people um, want, number one, there's more of a freedom to talk about mental health. There's a lot more flexibility for mental health in the workplace today. So people are able to maybe, you know, have their dog laying next to them while they're working. There's just, just new options. There's new, it's a new world. That is for sure. Well, I definitely agree with that from, from your perspective and maybe the lessons from your book, by the way, I read the book, people, it's terrific. You should buy it. Thank you. Um, 
Thank you. Thank God it was good. I didn't know how I was going to tell you if it wasn't. <laughs> but it really is, it really is good. Um, what do you think are the lessons that apply specifically to going through the pandemic for people in recovery? Or are there any besides just keep going, you know? Well, you know, I think the thing that I heard the most, which I'm not happy about at all, is um, learning about people that have uh, died by suicide and all of the family members and the friends in their lives that say the same thing. I had no idea. We didn't know that they were struggling. I didn't, you know, they seem fine. They're so strong. How could that happen? Um, it just happened to a doctor in the Tampa Bay area not too long ago, a week before that. Another one of my doctor friends lost a friend to suicide. You know, it's been consistent. And um, so as much as we've come really far in comparison to where we were, I think that um, we have to make it more okay to have these conversations, right? The, the only way to normalize anything is actually to just keep talking about it. Um, and that has been my, my, my own, uh, I try to live my lessons by doing them. You know, I will talk about going back to therapy on social media, online, wherever I am, whenever I can. I, I meet, you know, uh, friends and of my husband. I don't think he's very excited about it, but when somebody used to ask me if I drink, I would just say, no, like, it'd be very simple. Now I say, oh, I'm sober 27 years. I don't, I purposely say it because I want to be able to start the conversation. So people feel like they can be more vulnerable and they can talk through it. I think that we need to offer those safe spaces by being more vulnerable and sharing our own adversities. You know, um, there's one reason and one reason only that I was attracted to going to a 12 step recovery group. And that's because I didn't feel so alone. So once you know that you are not alone and there's actually hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people out there that feel like you, it allows other people to share, you know, and, um, and all of, I put a, a business life parallel and a business tip. And at the end of every one of my chapters, because I've been able to see in the business community, how it affects the doctors, the psychiatrist, the psychologist, the lawyers, the presidents of the banks, the CEOs. Um, there's nobody that is, you know, um, that this disease of alcoholism or mental illness doesn't affect, whether it be themselves personally, their family members, their son, their daughter, whatever. So it's a conversation that just needs to, to be had. So we don't hear so much of, oh, I had no idea. Well, when you were, I can speak for myself personally, when I was, you know, suicidal in my first year, um, no, nobody knew because I wasn't going to tell you that I was actually serious about this. I was going to do it. I didn't want you to know. I used to hide pictures. I write about it in the book. I used to hide pictures of myself. We come from a nice Irish big family. And you know, that way we have millions of pictures all over the place. And I thought if I just hid the pictures of myself in my parents' house, that it would be easier for them to forget me when I'm gone after I kill myself. I mean, that's morbid. But that's truly how I felt. I did not want them to um, have to keep be reminded by a picture like they would forget about me. But um, I put on a great act and I've watched many, many people act as though they're okay when they're not, because that's what society teaches us to do. Well, Show up. I'm, I'm looking at how many people picked up during this time. Mm -hmm. 
and and the uh, progression. I think the recovery is going to be more and more important. You know, a full-blown alcoholism doesn't start in five weeks. It's more like five, eight years. And, and I wonder how many teenage kids, let's say, who were not able to go to school, not able to see their friends, not able to do ordinary activities. You know, liquor stores were open. Mm-hmm. Liquor stores were, did you know they were essential businesses? No, it was the highest selling items in the pandemic was liquor. And and you wonder, I mean, what I'm thinking about is, is looking to the future. And I think if you want to have a secure job, become a drug and alcohol counselor uh, in, the, in the next five years, there's going to mm-hmm. be a... My fear is that there's going to be an explosion of this that will make the pandemic look like a birthday party. Mm. Um, I, I see it coming. And the other thing that, that I saw, and I think it, it feeds into this, I saw a lot of suicidal behavior that I hadn't seen. The levels were off the scale. I don't know if you experienced the same thing, Mark, but it, it was it was amazing to me. Uh, the, the level of intensity of depression, of anxiety. Uh, I wonder how many case, undocumented cases of child abuse or spousal abuse, you know, happened during this time. Um, the, the idea that people, you know, the first step, you know, my life has become unmanageable, right? How many people felt that even if they weren't drinking? Mm-hmm. Am I going to get, yeah, I mean, this has been like a song for me. Am I going to get sick? Am I going to die? Am I going to have a job? Am I going to have a home? When is this thing going to end? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I don't, but that's, I don't that's know. That's where those recovery uh, tools come in so handy for earth people because of the pandemic. It, it just, I, to me, it's a testament of the mutual aid programs or Bill and Dr. Bob in general <clears throat> foreseen a set of whatever you want to call them, steps, spiritual principles, spiritual traditions. Yeah, I think it's spiritual. That, that applied to this when everything else we've had has failed. Yeah. I well, think you it's know, I, sort of cool. I think so too. And I totally agree. You know, um, I read the book by Russell Brand. Uh, I don't know, recovered or something like that. Fantastic. I listened to the audible book. And of course it was great because he's funny as all get out. And um, he went through the steps like for a normal person. Right. And I remember when I first read it, I was so pissed off. I was like, how dare you rip off Bill Wilson and try to make it your own. But, (laughs) and then I, as I kept reading, I was like, wow. And this is, you know, pre pandemic. I was like, this really and truly is for everybody. I mean, it really is such a great design for living. Um, and, and now today, you know, it's not just about even the 12 steps or recovery groups. There's, you know, I've, I have my own podcast, so I interview a lot of people that are sober curious. And I have my own opinions, of course, about whatever that is, but it works. People are, you know, have this whole social platform to be able to talk about not drinking and not doing drugs in their 20s. It's, you know, I didn't have anything like that. So there's just a, there's a lot of really great free resources out there for show. This is the quietest Dr. Sylvester has ever been in all my time knowing him. I mean, let I'm me know. concerned. If you'd I'm like concerned. My opinion, I would love your opinion. Is. I'll take the microphone from here, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, the beginning of 1936, I think what we found was the global uh, economic uh, contention into the uh, misery that is the uh, Great Depression. Moving on. <laughs> oh, boy. I just came up with that. I'm not good with that on the spot. No, well, recovery tools can apply to every area of your life. You know, yes. you can fourth step any day. You can 10th step any day. You can remind yourself every day of the first step that, you know, your, your life is unmanageable. Mm-hmm. because of the status quo doesn't need to be a drink or drug involved you can still get the benefit of the program so what part of my life you know do i find unacceptable to me maybe turn to page 417 right mm-hmm. acceptance is the answer to all of my problems now we talked last week about four noble necessities one of which was gratitude as mm. a recovery principle another one is humor Another one is courage. And uh, well, actually, that was five and six service. And uh, one that ran off the bottom. Oh, love. How Mm. can I forget love? And faith. Those were really all six of them in four lines. I, I also think that, you know, we have to get out of the denial that we are in as a society. Um. I think of America as an alcoholic family at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, mom and dad are drunk and no one's allowed to say it. You know, <laughs> uh, the, our leaders act like they're drunk. Maybe they're drunk with power, I don't know. But, mm-hmm. but and if you say it, you become a bad person. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what's, what's, if you're not connected to the official narrative, if you call it, it feels like an alcoholic family to me. And I've dealt with a lot of them. And, you know, the funny thing is I did, when I was doing uh, the, uh, I did a course called life skills and recovery several years ago. And uh, we were doing a module on alcoholic families. And I looked it up there. Terry Gorski had a uh, 14 points of an alcoholic family. My family had 13 of them. Nice. Nobody drank. The only mm. thing we didn't have is nobody drank. So I wondered why I was so drawn to dealing <laughs> with addictions. We were the dry drunk family. Mm. Hey, quick interruption on this amazing podcast, but we have to tell you about our awesome sponsor, Thai Technology. They are so cool and they're here in Tampa Bay, if you're a Tampa Bay listener. Thai Technology is the best voice over IP business phone service company out there. How do I know this? I used to work in telecom before I worked with doctors. That's right. So I know me a good phone system when I see it. Plus, they are integrated with Zoom. They are the only ones that are integrated with Zoom. And if you mention this podcast or you mention the Facebook show, they're going to hook you up with three months for free. Follow them on Facebook and on Instagram, Thai Technology Rocks. Dry yeah. drunks. What do you think about dry drunks? Those are a phenomenon in and of itself. How does one, because for me, and I think for most people that are, are sober, it has absolutely nothing to do with alcohol anymore. You know, I don't have it's, one it's, desire it's, to drink or be out of my own mind or my own body, but I actually have to work on myself every single day. I've, ha- I've had to implement a mental health workout. I can't even get away from it because I know if I don't, I would have ripped the girl's head off at the doctor's office that I went to today when I asked her for a mask and she looked at me like she hated my guts. 
I had to take a breath. And I I learned that in recovery. I learned that in a practice, right? Like I have to not react to everything that happens to me today. And that's, you know, this practice has been the greatest benefit for me through the pandemic. This, you know, getting up and working out and meditating and, and helping somebody else and, you know, ha- listening. Uh, one of the biggest things I learned in this during this time was uh, listening was not waiting for my turn to talk. You know, what is really going on with people? You know, and, and me not reacting to her today, I just kept thinking, oh my goodness, Elle, maybe she lost somebody. Maybe she's having, maybe she hates her husband. Maybe she hates this job. <laughs> you know, why take my own sanity and unleash and, and be left with that all day. Those are, those are life skills now, but I would have never learned them if I didn't get sober and go through some, start doing some work on myself. I think a lot of people, well, what I've witnessed is that they don't think it's a lot of work to feel good when they put a substance down. You actually have to do a lot. Like if I am wrong today, when Mark mentioned step 10, which Turns out a lot of people that are listening or watching might not know what that is, but we tell them we continue to take personal inventory and like we admit when we're wrong and we say we're sorry, you know, and instead of holding on to it forever. Um, and I think a lot of people that are out there white knuckling, I know a few, that's what they do. They just replay all of those resentments in their minds all day long. And then um, it, it shoots out like little baby traumas, pew. It's like a video game, you know, here they come. So, um, and that's one thing I learned. And I know that uh, you, Richard, you take such great care in in talking about trauma so much. And it wasn't until I got sober that I really understood how much trauma lived in my body. Um, Because I relived all of that trauma in those, in that time that I wrote that, that I really thought that I was over, that I I had talked about that I had worked on. I thought it was gone. And if I went to therapy in recovery, I would say to a therapist, listen, I'm good. Okay. I don't need to relive my childhood. There's no inner child happening here. I want to get to this horrible relationship that I'm in. And I want you to give me some advice just on that. We don't need to go back. And what I realized is that there was still so much that was living in my body. And I had a lot of work done. I went to go see, you know, some wonderful healers that really work through that trauma in my body and my mind and my spirit. And, um, and I feel a new freedom again, you know, so the work never stops just because we've been around the block for a little while. Doesn't I, I feel like I have to work harder today than I used to. Well, the challenges, are, the challenges are stronger. Sure. And there's a lot more pressure. It was a hell of a lot easier when I didn't give a shit when anybody thought about me. <laughs> well, it really you, was. I'd say there's a difference between not giving a shit and not taking it personally. Mm. What, what, you know, we seem, where we get in trouble is when we take things personally. You said it, you know, the gal looked at you like she hated you. you know, maybe she's in a terrible relationship, whatever. You can choose to take it personally or not. But if you don't work through your stuff, you probably will take it personally because when did cut it out or calm down ever really work? Yeah, that's my favorite thing to her. You better, you need to learn how to relax. Yeah, yeah, good luck. (laughs) Try harder at relaxing, right? Right. And and that's that's why, you know, working through our own personal stuff and and sometimes it's, it's simply giving it a voice. 
I think more often it's looking how it's trapped in your body. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, because if people get scared, <laughs> you know, and and you're holding it, your whole body structure is different. And we've known this for a long time. I mean, Wilhelm Reich, who everybody thought was crazy Willie, you know, back in the day, the Reichians knew this, but it, it took it's taken a long time before, and it still hasn't completely filtered down into uh, common practice in psychotherapy but if you're going to deal with trauma so much of trauma is in the body so so much we went down that road and i'm finding with many many perhaps most of my uh patients who have addiction problems we find a trauma that we have to deal with the um not everybody but most people because you figure well why would people do something so self-destructive unless it gave them something mm. truth truth temporary i don't care if it's temporary you know and and you you talk I, I know this one addict um who he was a garbage pail for any drug he could get his hands on and he, he would have a ritual of an hour hmm. preparing the drug going to get the drug preparing the drug so you have an hour not to do this and you do and yeah and he said i feel great for five minutes and i'd feel like hell so, yeah. so you have an hour and you know what's coming Mm -hmm. But once the program is unleashed, it's a it becomes a ritual. Well, there's and, a really great like movie. That, sorry, that? I didn't. Go ahead. Go, no. Oh you no, you. It. So there's a really great movie. Um, well, show that I'm watching right now. It's called Dope Sick. Is anybody watching it? Michael I Keaton's like in I've it. Seen one episode. So no, so I, so I don't really watch TV. All that oh, unless okay. it's hockey hockey games. I don't really watch TV. Anymore. Well, that's smart. Well, this one is called Dope Sick. It's really great. It's what Michael Keaton and uh, he ends up being um, not only is he prescribing the opioids, but he ends up taking them and and we get to watch um, a physician go through their own battle with um, recovery. And um, I think that the world today, especially with with addicts, is a lot different than it, it once was. And I certainly would never have been open to half of the things that um, I hear about now, like um, other alternatives of, of seeking help and, and not just, you know, getting off drugs and white knuckle and not being given anything. You know, I, I think I, I had a horrible, uh, judgment in my own mind about people taking methadone. And I, I really had just, cause I had no idea. I've never been educated about any of this. And until, you know, this horrible epidemic in the pandemic around the whatever emic is happening next, but it's really amazing that there are so many alternatives. And I know that you guys believe a lot. I feel like I'm turning into the interviewer now. I believe, I know that you guys uh, believe a lot in alternatives. And I know that you do IV therapy there and you do work with trauma through the body and you do, you are an alternative practice and you practice functional medicine and you integrate a lot of different modalities. And I think it's so important today to understand that we're, we're treating the, the whole person and the whole person differently. Not everybody walking through the door is the same. Thoughts on that, Dr. Sylvester? I love it. Can we uh, take a chunk of that and just send it on over to Facebook? Or... <laughs> yeah, can you have Melissa put a link at the bottom? Well, this, well, is, actually, idea, look, the, this is actually this is actually your show uh, interviewing me. So just yeah, for the, now, let's well. The idea is to do what works, and I think that's what you're talking about. Sure. Yes. So let's do what works. Let's get a good outcome. You know, people's egos get so involved 
They with, do. You know, with their particular version of, of, of reality. Let's just help people. Yeah, yeah, let's be kind to others. Let's help them out. Let's kumbaya the hell out of them. I like the kumbaya. I like anything that takes you outside of yourself. And um, recovery does do that. One, not only just watching a meeting, going to a meeting, but all of the tools and opportunities for the social interaction, mask, no mask, indoor, outdoor, uh, speaker meeting online versus, you know, you're still getting um, your medicine for your dis-ease, your discomfort. And in those rooms, you're learning like things like gratitude and acceptance and um, conscious contact with the power greater than yourself or paying attention to what's going on you, whether that's a craving and you need to play the tape through so that it doesn't end up with you struck drunk, kind of like what the good Dr. Shulman was mentioning before versus, you know, is this situation I'm struggling with an acceptance? I just have to accept it, lean into the pain and this too shall pass, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that involves courage, right. That we talked about last week as well. So there's so many, tools in recovery that it's almost a shame that uh, non-addicts don't have the same dogma they don't have the same they haven't earned their right to sit in that chair now a lot of these people during the pandemic are working on it Mm, was that 30 percent of people working from home or drinking during work man that does that does not make me feel good (laughs) but it's true and what about all of the, what about all of the, the families that are affected? You know, um, in my last, I don't know, I think it was the last chapter of the book I talked about to the families because I know my own family thought it was their fault that I was ever suicidal, that I suffered from a disease. And um, I think that the families have uh, a tremendous time uh, dealing with the alcoholic or the drug addict. And um, I, I, I know for me, you know, just to go back to the beginning, there was an intervention. My husband got to see in this movie that we're, this show that we're watching, Dope Sick, there was an intervention done. And I said, I said, oh, that looked like my house a few years ago. And Rob said, oh, you had one of those? I'm like, yeah, I know exactly what that's about. They all sat down, I was drunk out of my mind listening to my family tell me that I was going to go to a, a beautiful day camp in New Hampshire. Trembling Hills. Yeah, loved it. Seafield Pines. Climbed a mountain. And then, you know, the second one, Rhinebeck Lodge, it was, I was mandated to, and, and the progression was just there. But my family had no idea what to do. And they were in counseling themselves. And my parents were talking about divorce and it was tumultuous. You know, it talks about in the literature, we, we come through like a tornado and, and that is for sure. It's not just us that we're affecting, we're affecting every single person that loves us. And I think that the help uh, should not only maintain and sustain for the addict or the alcoholic, but also the family members. You know, we're going to a wedding. I, I love to talk about where we are right now because you know, I think sometimes the hardest thing in recovery is when you've been sober a while, I'm going to a family wedding in December and there's some estrangement happening in my own family. And I'm, I'm working on myself every day. 
just to be ready to smile and, you know, not ruin anything <laughs> and not talk about my real feelings and, and then wait until I can come back and, and talk to my people. But, you know, I got my therapist lined up. I got my recovery meetings. It's a lot of work to um, sponsor. A sponsor, of course, my Cynthia for 20 plus years now. It's all in but it's because of that and because of your experience in recovery and because of your utilization and knowledge of the of the tool tool base, um, you've weathered it better mm-hmm. than the vast majority of people. And I, you know, we were trying to talk in a previous episode about are we at an inflection point? When are we coming out of the this period? And what's it going to look like? Will we have learned anything? Will we have made good come from it? Will we be doing the same thing and expecting different results? And I have a lot of hope in the recovery community because a lot of these tools were exactly what we need to learn how to live life on life's terms. Whereas if you weren't in recovery, you were running around, you know, with your hair on fire, usually through your front yard, um, you know, naked running into trees. It was just, it was ugly. Yeah, really ugly. You probably had a big, big old flag on the back of your truck screaming at people everywhere you went. Or a tattooed flag right in your back. (laughs) That too, that too. Yeah, it certainly has, um, when when it says that this is a design for living, I think that is one of the best lines in the literature because it has been, it's a design for living inside of recovery and outside of it. There is certainly... There's no manual, right? With like how to be a human, <laughs> but how to be a good human, we could all benefit from. And I, I don't care how anybody gets that manual, but I think that we all need to subscribe to it, even if it's digital. We need to work on ourselves and stop focusing. I think that's an, there's like a million great things that, are, I, that come out of recovery that I apply to business as well. You know, let's not worry about what everybody else is doing, but what can I do better? You know, let's not worry about what we're bringing to an event or to uh, a meeting that we're hosting with our employees, but what can I contribute that's better? How can I be better? And that's really how uh, a group and communities um, soar because the, the better good is, is at the forefront of everybody's mind for everybody collectively, not, you know, selfish, self-centered and self-seeking. I've been told that's a thing. I've been told I've been that in the past. And I certainly don't ever want to be that again. I'm trying my best on a daily basis with a lot of mistakes made along the way um, to just not be so selfish, self-centered and self-seeking. There's actually other people that matter in the world besides me. Imagine. And that takes you outside of yourself. And that's almost a service thing or a way to escape the self-centered fear or, you know, the old feed the good wolf. Yeah. And uh, I think another part of this that that recovery brings is um, we're in the process of finding our tribe now. Mm. You know that um, when I, I I have, as I said, I insist that my addict addicted patients go to recovery. So you have to find a group of people who can do things not centered around substances. That's number one. But I think it's more of a mindset. Um, We are being challenged to go to a higher level of being right now. I mean, I feel it every day. Um, Because, 
don't know. Uh, this is melodramatic. History demands this of us. This might be the most interesting time in American history right now, today. Mm -hmm. And we are being challenged to live at a higher level or we're going to live at a lower level. There's no in between anymore. You're, re you're either, and I think that recovery brings a model of how, how to live at a higher level. Of course, you know, when I, when I talked to my, I had a couple come in and the wife was really on this guy. I thought he, I thought he needed to go to recovery and she hammered him with every, I said, you don't understand at all what this is about. Mm -hmm. And she was kind of a control freak. And she looked at me and I said, you go to AA to be sober for one day. End of story. Word. You're not going to get this guy to go by lecturing him about all the steps that he has to do. He's already running out of the room. Right. Sober for one day. But right. that gives you an opportunity to live differently. It challenges you to live at a higher level. Yeah. Because using substances, you know, where's that well-adjusted, well family-loving, you know, heroin addict you know, it, yeah it, it really doesn't, it doesn't exist yeah okay so we're, we're looking at a challenge across the board everybody seems so upset right now mm -hmm. yeah nobody I love it. yeah yeah and so, humor i just i can't richard i don't even know how you do this with him sometimes the whole time trying not to laugh at him well, well you know what I, it's been an interesting experience <laughs> Because you know, I've been. always I've always been the comedian everywhere I went, and now I'm the straight man. <laughs> ah, you see, I I, yes. I told him to bring that cup. That's nice. Is there yeah, anybody bring out there? How many props can we hold up at the same time? Well, you know what? Know. I think that that's really great, Richard. About um, the families and codependency, a lot of people ask me today because um, I'm I'm friends with a lot of people that have a lot of wild uh children running around that are you know doing the thing and smoking the dope and they what should i do and i'm like let them go i know that that's it's such a it's almost oh. ridiculous but it's almost oh. ridiculous right like how do you let go of somebody you love like your own child or but it's a um, simple concept but it doesn't mean it's easy yeah so hard but it so works let that let that go and it, it will come back um like i came back you know it's meant to be it's meant back. to be amen well i think we might have lost the attention span of some if we continue on da -da 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 -da. we're talking about were we talking what about is, your where book? am i what are we book? shamelessly self-promoting your book I never want to, you know, um, it is funny about this book. I recorded my book in a hotel room and we're going to get to Richard's book. We should mention his. I read it too. I actually read it while I was on a retreat. I have a book around here somewhere. How come it's not floating across the screen by now, Richard? I mean, I'll pull my copy out if you want me to. There it is. The Labyrinth of Healing. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you that um, I, I wrote this book with one intention and one intention only as cheesy as on the show. To get on this show. It worked. <laughs> no, to, you had finally made it. <laughs> to get on this show to uh, help one person. That is my truth. I recorded it on a uh, my own podcast for free in a hotel room right after I released it because I wanted to make sure that it was available. And guess what's the most listened to podcast that I have today? Uh, my book. 
because that was the intention. The intention was to just get it out there and uh, hopefully it can give somebody else hope that you too one day could end up on the old psych show. Yeah. If you work hard and dream. Yeah, we might even get, uh, you know, some late night talk show. You could win the Stanley Cup. Anybody can win the Stanley Cup. You could join Champa Bay. Who knows what's in your future, people? Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for being had. (laughs) And not not a has been. Not yet. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it's it's always fun to talk to you and, um, you know, keep bringing the message. I'm trying my best, man. Uh, I, I know. Yeah. Well, you tend to, I think, see more, I don't know how else to put this, more regular people than we do. You know, we sit yeah. in this, you go out in the community, you, you see. You I know, have most, experience. But it's it's kind of different than being in a, in a, in a um, psychiatrist or a psychologist's office. Truth. So you want to bring me books? Why don't buy, I, I rent out a space? Huh? Buy the Labyrinth of Healing. You can find that on Amazon.com. Buy the Broken Road to Mental Health. You can find that on Amazon.com. Yeah, you can. You can find and that. You and buy that. my book. You can find it um, uh, in the future in, in my the laptop because I'm still I'm still crossing some. We can we can do supplies. a time warp to when the next book is. All right. Well, it's stop for the love of God. Until next time, let's all remember to one, two, three, be, be well. well. Oh my God. Nice, nice to see you, Sharon. Suck. Man, you. I've seen I've seen worse. Be well, everybody. Be well and listen to those and watch them because they're good. They will help you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a review or share it with somebody you know and care about that would benefit from listening. But more importantly, if you are thinking about advertising your business in the year 2021, sponsoring a podcast is major. 44% of people pay more attention to advertising on podcasts than any other media. And 37% agree that advertising on a podcast is actually the best way to reach them. 70% have considered a new product or service after hearing an ad on a podcast. And I'm one of those people. And this is all according to Edison Research. Don't believe me, believe the research. So if you're interested in sponsoring, give us a shout.